0: Welcome Welcome to to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. I am Chris Stem.
0: And I'm John Rojas.
1: So this week, we have a really interesting, intriguing, important episode for you, and we are speaking with a fantastic guest. I want you to think about this, okay? There are a number of extremely important challenges that the entire world has to face together today. Sometimes we get off in our own little places, and we don't realize how much of a global community we are. These are challenges that reach every corner of the globe. They leave no one unaffected. Things like health care, hunger, responsible governments, access to education. But how do we know what these things are? How do we know what is most important to us as a group, us as individuals, and our families? So the United Nations asked that question, and they came up with the Millennium Campaign, Which is dedicated to figuring out exactly what we care about and then working hard to solve each one of these issues. So, in order to do that, they have created My World. And My World is the United Nations Global Survey. So, what I want you to do first is go to myworld2015.org and take the very short survey. And let them know what is most important to you.
0: And after you finish taking that, let us know you took the survey. Tweet to at smartpeoplepod and at myworld2015 with the hashtag MWSPP. We want to see you guys participating in this survey. And we want to be able to go back to My World 2015 and say, hey, look who has taken this survey because they heard it here on smart people podcast how many countries do we reach at least 150 now
1: this is our way of kind of expanding John and I took the survey go to myworld 2015.org and after you take the survey check out the way they break out the data you can look at all this stuff different countries every part of the globe it's really cool this is a way of of letting people know letting the UN know and letting these thought leaders understand what's important to you and, and what we should be looking at
0: and then we'll be Able to hold the governments responsible to address the biggest issues worldwide.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a key point that John mentioned. So we're really excited this week to have on Corinne Woods. She is the director of the UN Millennium Campaign. So she's basically the head of it. And she's super smart, she's incredibly passionate. And she really can kind of explain this and what it is way better than we can. So we're going to turn it over to Corinne. Previously, she worked at UNICEF as Senior Advisor on the HIV-AIDS Global Campaign Coordination. She was Senior Advisor on the United Nations Special Session on Children. She served as Head of Communications for Save the Children UK. Just a really generous, smart person that we were proud to have on the show. So without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Corinne. So remember,
0: listen along and head over to myworld2015.org or pause this episode, take the survey, 10, 15 seconds tops, and then check out Corinne Woods.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the show. There's so many things you've done in your past and so much that's happening now. As we mentioned, it's going to be tough to cram it all in. But I wanted to start with you have a really interesting background, one that I think will resonate with a lot of people. You worked in a a variety of roles at UNICEF and now what you're doing. Could you kind of give us a little bit of background of what you've done? And also, just as importantly, you know, what drew you towards this type of work?
2: My background educationally and also through the early part of my work was around communication and how communication and different communication mixes be that media work, be that advertising, be that classic PR can bring about change and change for the good. So, I spent a lot of time, you know, on an anti smoking campaign trying to bring about both changes in individual people's behaviors, stop them smoking but also how do you change a societal. Policies like advertising on tobacco advertising, bringing about a ban on that. So having done that successfully, I felt it was quite important to bring that to the international environment. So through a variety of different sort of the sort of moves you make, I went to save the children and then to the UN. And at the UN, I found my home and the place I know absolutely works. And what I like to do is add to that mix is innovation And the power of particularly new technologies, the way the world is going, that is it Gretzky who says, thinking about where the puck is going, not where the puck is, and looking at how can that solve problems. So I've had the most extraordinary experience of being able to do anything from working on the HIV AIDS campaign, where we were finding that kids who are born to mothers who are HIV positive, if you can get them on treatment in the first six weeks it can actually be very helpful in terms of preventing the progression to from HIV to AIDS. Now, the problem is if you're a kid born in a village in Zambia and you've got this little dried blood spot that you can do to test out is the kid positive and what what is it you need to do you've got a real logistical problem you can do you can find the kids you can do the little test but the lab is sitting 200 miles away in Lusaka in the capital city of Zambia so you know how, how are you going to deal with that what are you going to do and so I was able to on something like that work with the team of people who said well actually we can use mobile phone technology to get the information up there and back again to ensure those kids get on treatment so I've worked at that sort of level on the very granular, you know, this is going to make a difference to this child's life. And also much larger campaigns, those kind of big communication pushes to say back in 2000, working with Nelson Mandela, working with Bill Gates, to say let's get the world leaders to agree a set of goals for children and let's bring citizens' voices into that. That time we used faxes and ballots because new technology wasn't there, even through to the sort of work today. And then obviously bringing in the sort of partners that can make a big difference, like football club Barcelona or the World Cup or those sorts of things where Indian cricketers can bring about a substantive change in polio behavior. So I've always loved that idea of you take an issue, which is a challenge, and you bring to it good analysis, great communication and innovative communication techniques and extraordinary partnerships, and together we can make a real difference. Sitting in the UN is the perfect place. We have a mandate for it, and we all have the ability to convene and bring people together. So the UN is a very, very powerful player, and for someone like me, it gives me the ability to really make the things happen at a global scale and hopefully to make a significant difference.
1: You know, what's so interesting that I pulled out of that specifically is I tend to get overwhelmed when I have a number of different things going on, when I can't put my focus somewhere. And for you, I mean, take that to the largest scale possible, right? You pretty much look at the biggest issues, challenges facing humanity, and then say, okay, let's apply technology or whatever it might be to try to improve these things. Do you ever get overwhelmed? Do you ever struggle with which one to focus on, or there's too much to do, or I'm just one person?
2: My approach is always, there's a degree of humility. (laughs) My wonderful cousin just said to me, you're just a cog in the system. And it's true. You know, there's lots of different, really smart people doing really amazing stuff all about, let's make sure we will do what we say we need to do. So, I'm one person, one leader in the UN, doing one set of things. So, that's, first of all, sort of a degree of humility. Secondly, a degree of clarity about what I bring to the table. I am someone who's smart, makes stuff happen, great with partnerships, but... I'm not a policy wonk. I'm not a specialist in nutrition. I'm not an economist. So what I'm good at is bringing a particular set of skills and a particular set of abilities to a problem that's bigger than those set of skills and abilities. And the smart thing is to say, I will focus on that. I will make sure that I'm working with others who are doing those other things. And we make sure there's complementarity, but I get right the bit that I can get right. And then to remain continually hopeful. I was just in Denmark with a team of people who talk about the Millennium Development Goals and say there's been incredible progress. In fact, it's the world's best news. And I really like that idea of saying, you know what, we are seeing progress. We are seeing things getting better. So let's continue to focus on, they call it positive deviance in my, my, my line of work. Well, you know, let's focus on what works And build and keep on getting things better and better and better. And you see it everywhere. The other thing is, you you know, I may be one person, but incredible the, the, the sort of pool of goodwill that there is out there. People who are ready to say, you know what, I totally believe in what you are doing. You, the UN, you, the issues on development... We'll give our time for free. We'll help you to do this. I saw something overnight where Perfect. someone had done some analytics on some work we'd done. He said, I'm going to spend my the next month doing this. He did it and he delivered it for us. That sort of sense of we're a small team, but there are millions of people out there just willing to do their bit. That really makes a difference because that's the way change happens. It's not one person. It's many people all playing their different roles.
1: That was Truly some fantastic stuff, and I know that having done podcasting for years now, I tend to break things out into sound bites. And so I kind of wanted to reiterate what I heard for our listeners, which was, and this is kind of nerdy, but I heard kind of four H's. You have to have humility, uh, be humble, understand that you are this cog. You have to be honest with yourself. What are your strengths and weaknesses and surround people, surround yourself with people that kind of offset that. You have to remain hopeful that you can have an impact and you have to know that there's help out there. So there's people that will team up with you to really make change. I I just came up with that. I love that though. And it was, it resonated so much that I was like, how can I remember this?
2: Well, you know what? You should have maybe a podcast or set something up because you clearly are very good on communication stuff. <laughs> I th- about doing that?
1: <laughs> I appreciate and that. Program, something like that? No, I haven't, but maybe <laughs> I will. <laughs> I, lo- I mean, I love podcasting. I love this stuff. So, uh, But one of the things you said in there that I can't let this slip is you worked with Nelson Mandela and Bill Gates.
2: With Nelson Mandela, what we did in – this is in 2000. I was working with UNICEF. And we were leading up to something called the Special Session on Children. And it was a moment where governments of the world could come in and give their new commitment to the agenda for children. Stopping mothers dying in childbirth, making sure children live beyond five years old, you know, these sorts of things. Making sure girls got into school and stayed in school. We needed governments to stand up and say, yep, we commit to this. And so Nelson Mandela has always been somebody who absolutely supported the agenda for children. So we worked with him to really put a call out to children and say, put your voice to an agenda for children, support what we're doing. And so I worked with him and his team to do that and saw both through his production of television spots and meetings the incredible power he had to touch the hearts of people. One of the most extraordinary experiences I had was he'd started the campaign, and Bill Gates was one of the early starters, along with our Secretary General Kofi Annan at the time, um, Queen Rania of Jordan. And having started a campaign that said, put your voice, then we came back with 93 million people who'd said, yes, we agree. We agree that children should have the right to grow." Um, grow in dignity. And he came to a meeting in New York, a special session on children, where we had 600 young people who'd spent five days working together. And I walked in with him and his team, and never have I seen and felt the love that people feel and the hope of people imbued in one man and their feelings towards that one man. And that was the most incredible experience, to see that and to see how that worked. And he took it with great humility and very nobly but it was completely incredible. And so you see that there are sometimes leaders like that who touch hearts, who touch minds, and they have the ability to really inspire and drive things forward. And so that was a very wonderful thing to see. But it's also true that I see that and I have had the pleasure to see that in people who are not world-famous people who everyone knows, but just simple individuals who've done the most extraordinary thing. I often talk about there's a girl called Anita, who I met in India, who, young girl, wasn't allowed to go to school, finally persuaded her parents, even pretended to go on hunger strike to keep herself in school. And then when they said, we can't afford it, she went out and learned how to keep bees, and she makes honey. And so her honey keeps her in school. She's now at university. And so this very simple girl is as much as an inspiration as someone like Nelson Mandela in terms of what they're doing to change the world.
0: I can't get over that because I look at you and I'm sure you work with all these amazing people. You work with people who love what they do, who have the same values And I'm sure it just – it helps waking up in the morning and being excited about going into work and working with these people. It must be the most fantastic feeling.
2: It's great. I mean waking up in the morning is sometimes a little bit different.
0: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I'm glad
1: you said that because I hate it regardless of what I'm doing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Waking up is more of a problem. But no, I mean, it's to have the and it's a gift. It's a gift of life to be able to have something that you believe in fundamentally It fits with your values and your integrity to have the ability to believe you're bringing your skills to do the right thing. And those skills are being placed in the right place. And to be given the space to do that is amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I have as a principal, and I try to keep my team as lean as possible, but also as young as possible, because I want to give people that opportunity to do that and to give that space to do that. Because it's important that we grow a generation of people who see this combination of what you do for the development of the world, in the right way and what you do in terms of your life and your living and your career as all intertwined it's not you know you're going to do a bit of philanthropy and you're going to do a bit of business everything flows together it's and this is an incredible new way of thinking about what development is i see it in africa very powerfully but i see it in other places and that sort of wonderful new way in which entrepreneurship is tied to development, is tied to social change. That's something that is very exciting to me.
0: Well, let's transition to where you are today. You're now the director of the UN Millennium Campaign. Can you give our listeners a brief background about what the UNMC is, what you guys set out to accomplish, and then we can dive into the organization.
2: Okay. well, the background is this. In 2000, every country in the world came together and signed something called the Millennium Declaration here in New York. And it's quite... Actually, I find it really... Given it's a UN document and they're not necessarily written in this powerful way, it's an incredible, inspiring document that says we the heads of state, we the governments of the world will will promise to change the world for the good and this is what we will, you know, this is, this is our vision of what we will do. Now that Millennium Declaration was very visionary and some smart people, far smarter than me, just after that in 2000 said, you know what, the problem with vision is vision is great but sometimes you need the stepping stones to say, here's the thing that will take us and this is how we'll measure, are we going in the right direction? And so they then said, well, let's, do this let's set up something that there are eight millennium development goals and we'll set 2015 as the deadline for them and say okay so let's say we will achieve certain things by 2015 and those things will be important things that we can then achieve we can then measure them everybody can understand what they're about them there people talk about you know you can communicate them easily and people can feel, yeah, we're all going in the same direction. And the sort of things is things like combating HIV, malaria, making sure that child mortality is reduced so children actually live beyond five, making sure mothers don't die in childbirth. You know, some very basic things. Eight. In fact, I have them on the back of my business card. Hmm. Now, so that was done. Smart people sat and set that. But the problem is, is sometimes smart people set things and the rest of the world goes, well, I didn't know anything about it it's nothing to do with me or that's not what I think we should have. And we faced a little bit of a problem in around 2003 where that was what was going on. Smart goals, everybody got them. Basis, this Millennium Declaration, big vision, but nobody was really on board. So my outfit, the UN Millennium Campaign, was set up really to say, okay, let's get people to be aware of these goals and to be aware of these issues and to come on board with those as the first step towards this big vision, which is the Millennium Declaration, which is why I'm called the UN Millennium Campaign, not the UN MDG Campaign. <laughs> so that's um, my predecessors spent a lot of time going out and telling people, making people aware of this, getting lots of different organizations on board with focusing on these things. And pretty much if you sit in the development circles, the Millennium Development Goals are things that people know about. Do Does the sort of average Joe in the street know about them? Probably not. Should they? I don't know. I'm in two minds about that. Should they know that these things matter? Yes, of course. But is it my desire that everybody knows what the Millennium Development Goals are? I think I'd be nuts to imagine that they would. <laughs> but it's important that we all believe these are good things and we're working towards them. So that's what we've been doing. And, you know, things are going pretty well, always in this stuff. We've got lots of progress, but we've got some challenges. So that's where we are, and we're about to hit the 2015 deadline, and we'll be able to sit and say, have we done, where do we need to do things differently, and what else do we need to put on here, and where do we need to redouble our efforts? And that's where we're at the point at the moment.
1: You know what I think is really important, you said, does the average Joe need to kind of know about the actual goals? and you might be right getting down into the weeds maybe not but i think what struck me most when i found out about this is there are genius minds there are nations in the globe coming together to solve these issues in a a group effort which i think we get so divisive and so partisan and all these things that it's just good to know like if anything it makes me feel like okay People are on it. How can I learn more? Maybe how can I get involved, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I think it's important to know that it's not all gloom and, and doom yeah. that we see on the news.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that I, I spend a certain amount of time in Africa and... There's incredible progress in Africa. If you go back to 2000, you come to today and you look at extreme poverty, you look at maternal health, you look at child mortality, you look at a number of these different issues, you see things changing. And so I think we're in danger of thinking, well, everything's bad. Well, actually, no, there's some really good news out there in terms of the changes. The challenges remain. We've got lots of different things we need to deal with. But yes, we have seen progress and we'll continue to see progress. I think the issue is, and I mean back to the sort of average Joe on the street, it's important that we have a sense that we're moving together as people and planet and that we are all concerned with making things better and we're interconnected. If anything, the global financial crisis in 2008 taught us, we can't separate ourselves out and say, well, that's over there, you know, that's Europe, that's Europe's problem, that's not, you know, that's not Asia's problem or that's not America's problem. We, you know, we're deeply interconnected. We're deeply connected in terms of the planet. So the more we're working together, the better. What we learned as the sort of UN and the development wonks, I think, is that as we think about what comes after these Millennium Development Goals, it's not going to be good enough just to have all the smart people who sit in development conversations, you know, the sort of people at Columbia University and the development scientists and so on and so forth, it's not going to be enough for them to just be having this conversation about what should our new set of goals be. We really need to set those for and include the world in those individual people. Your Joe on the street or Josephine on the street. You know, we really need to do that because unless we all own these things, we won't be able to move the dial in the way we want to.
0: Why do you think it is that There is so much progress being made in these places, but it seems like it's not that publicized. And when I say that publicized, I mean sites like the U.N. offers and then there's other sites like TED talks about all these different things that are that's great happening in the world. But it's not really picked up by mainstream media. I can go on CNN and not see something about, hey, the rate of death in Africa has gone down by 65 percent since 2000. Why do you think it is that these positive things in the world really aren't being broadcast and publicized in the mainstream?
2: Mainstream media, I find a kind of funny idea because I suspect that things like the stuff you're doing is the new mainstream. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) I was was a little younger than I am now, would have been print media, broadcast media, you know, and you'd say, well, it's going to be the BBC and CNN and, you know, you could now, there seems to be a plurality. So. In a way, the kind of mainstream media and the sort of stuff you guys do and, uh, you know, digital media, it's all starting to flow together. And I see Mm. a great opening to different voices and different stories and different ways of talking about things. There is, and you know, this space for citizen journalism and so on and so forth. Why the good news story is not being told in a consistent way? Well, I suppose you've got a couple of stuff. How mainstream uh, mainstream media or journalism has seen what makes news—you know—bad news, you know, bad news is, makes news rather than good news makes news. That tends to be a sort of a waiting. So that's right. one thing. Secondly, in the diplomatic world of development, our classic story is much progress, many challenges. And of course, much progress, many challenges is always—it's not, it's not quite a definitive enough. I often laugh with my colleagues and say, you know, if I was back in the private sector, I'd be shouting to the rooftops the changes and claiming, account, uh, you know, that we had made these things happen, whereas we're much more cautious always about what we're saying and where we're saying things are going and making sure the data's right. So there's a sort of cautious diplomacy about how we speak about these things, which doesn't necessarily play into great headlines. Um, And then maybe just people aren't necessarily interested. I mean, it's not news news to say that, you know, Uganda cut its rates of um, maternal death by 30% or that, you know toilets have been made available in Nepal at a, you know, maybe, maybe it's just not sort of in that people are more interested in what Paris Hilton is up to. And (laughs) that's just, you know, I think we have to accept the nature of the world in which we live and what people are interested in and where people come from and so on and so forth. So it is what it is. But there's lots of potential to cut through that stuff and to engage people.
1: Let's talk about the coolest thing on the internet right now. And I really mean that when when John and I heard about it, spent all this time on there. I know you said you every morning wake up and kind of dig in. And it goes back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, how do we engage the world? How do we do this on a global level? And how do we get every person's voice to determine what is most important? And For anybody listening out there, you're like, "Oh, that's that's that makes sense." Let's just uh, ask people on the internet. But it hadn't been done until you guys did it. So, tell us about my world. Let me
2: take you back to something that I said I think earlier, which is when the Millennium Development Goals were set. Those are the goals that start from 2000 to 2015. Basically, what happened was a group of very smart people sat in a basement at the UN and wrote them down and said, okay, this looks good, here are our goals, here are our indicators. And then I think they sent them on a fax to some other people. And then that's more or less how they were set. And when our Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said, okay, now is the time for us to move into thinking about the new set of goals. What he also said was, it's not going to be good enough if we just have a few people sitting in a basement. These should be inclusive and they should be open and they should be bold and ambitious. So we then took that challenge and said, okay, how do you engage people in a conversation about what should the new goals that will take us to 2030 and how do we do that, which will mean someone who is living in the In a rural community in Lesotho can be part of that. Someone who's growing up in Luton in England can do that. And someone who's growing up in in the outskirts of Buenos Aires. How do we do that and how do we reach those people? And how do we do that so we can actually help the people who are going to sit at the UN and say, OK, let's set eight goals or ten goals. How do we do it in a way that's helpful to them and just doesn't kind of throw them with a plethora of information? So that was our thinking. I did what I always do, which is ask smarter people than me to do some thinking about it. And so I asked a couple of colleagues who had done this sort of stuff before to think about it. And they were in Japan and they sat in a noodle shop and then came up with this idea of my world. And they emailed me and a few other people and said, OK, imagine we take the conversation that's going on in the hallowed halls of the U.N., and say, let's take those sixteen or so things and ask every single person we can, okay, of these sixteen things, what's the priority for you and your family? And ask them to just put the six things. And let's ask people to tell us what country, what age, what background they have, so that we can then say, isn't it? You know, we can compare. What do people in Venezuela care, care about, as opposed to people in Uruguay? What do so we we can do that? So that was their idea. I was actually in a hotel room in Addis Ababa with uh, disco music going like nobody's business across the road. (laughs) And I got really, I spent the whole night emailing them saying, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And we just said, yeah, this makes sense. So that seemed to make sense. And then we did what you always do as we went out and tested it with all the sort of smart policy wonks to say, does this make sense? And they said, yeah, more or less. And then we took it to some communication people and said, how do you turn it into something that's super simple? So this idea of my world, you take the 16 things and you ask people, to choose six of them. And then if anything's missing, you can add, add it to it. And then we did, I think, what was the smart thing to do? We said, let's not assume we do know. So we went out with my friends at UNICEF in Uganda on the back of something called you Report, and asked 150,000 young people, so what do you think are the priorities for you and your family? But we didn't set them anything. And 20,000 came back within about two days. And we got a 93% of their answers coded against our set of issues, oh, wow. which was important. So we knew we're not just sitting here inventing it. This is what people care about. So we felt confident. So that was about a year ago. And so we then went out and said, let's just go out to as many partners as possible. People from the World Association of Girl Guides, the scouts, people at a local level, small groups in Kashmir who are reaching out, and just say to them, Can you get this survey out to people? And I think, I mean, I don't have the data on it, but we have 1.5 million people who've participated so far. And I think there is a belief that this is the largest survey that's happened to date. There's nowhere else that we see this. We will be going to 2015. Our aim is to get 10 million people to have their voices heard. And we've done it in the most, you know, really interesting ways so you can... You can, when you look at the data site, you can see half of these, forty eight percent of these people, it's been done the old style. Scouts have got on bikes and gone into communities and sat with people and filled in forms. Uh, my favourite picture is a guy, a young scout who went out. I think it was into Madhya Pradesh, into this community, and he's sitting in this with, with this woman who's probably she's probably my age, but she looks about a hundred and two. And she's sitting, looking at this guy who's got his form and he's talking to her. And you can see he's explaining to her what this whole thing is all about. You can see he's reaching deep into that community. So we've had people doing that and going out and really getting, you know, young girls going out, young girls going out and meeting other young girls and talking in Rwanda. So we've really gone deep there. And then we've used this. Mobile phone technology, there's this stuff that makes dumb phones smart and, you know, Mm -hmm. different ways of reaching out. So we've done that. And then the Internet. And we've had great partners who've gone out and put things in The Economist and CNN and so on and so forth. So what we have today is 1.5 million people who've said these are our priorities. So we've got that, and we will continue to build that and build that. And the data site, which is my obsession, you can go on. It's open source. Anybody can go on it. You can use it. And so what that enables us to look at is to say, well, this tells us both what people want globally, but also we can disaggregate it down and say, what do men want rather than what women want, or what do younger people want rather than older people want, what do people in poor countries want, what do people in rich countries want, and even within those countries cut that data. And that's an incredible richness to a conversation about what should the new development goals be, what things matter to people. And so we're really starting to get that picture. And at 1.5 million, we can have the start of that picture. And we will continue to build it. It's updated in real time, which is why the obsessive looking every (laughs) single day. (laughs) And we're also supplementing it with other pieces of big data scraping, Twitter analysis, social media, to really start to get a picture of, well, what are people talking about and what do people care about?
0: This is such a fascinating concept, and our listeners can go to myworld2015.org to take the survey. But if you're like me and you love manipulating data, looking at infographics, you can go to data.myworld2015.org. And that's where all the fun starts. And one of the things I love is there's so much transparency behind the information. You guys allow people to see everything. All the data is there. You can manipulate it. You can filter down on the genders, the education levels, groups, countries. It's a beautiful site, and it's tons of fun even to just scour through after taking the survey.
2: Two things. If your listeners, first of all, go out and take the survey. Your voice counts, and your voice should be heard, and get other people to do that. You know, We need to have more voices because the more voices is the, more, is, is the stronger the voice is. And so that then helps us in all our discussions about bringing the people's voice to this. So you've got 18 months to go out and really push other people to get involved. And we are very open to partnerships. If people out there want to say, look, I can do this. I had a, a guy from Cameroon church group said, OK, I can go out and make this happen. And we said, great. OK, here's the staff. This is how you can do it. This is how you can do it offline, online, whatever. Came back three months later with 50,000 votes. And my team all went, no way, he's not, you know, this can't be real. And so we, we did two things. We did a bit of machine cleaning to see if it was okay. And it all seemed to be, you know, there was no standard pattern. So it seemed to be very different. And then people went through it. And the guy had just mobilized 50,000 votes. Now that's an incredible thing and that is the sort of thing that just makes me so happy when you see people out there and doing that because they believe in it and it, so it's not just your individual vote but your ability to mobilize out there but then once you get into the data it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating uh, you know it's the sort of thing i mean my one of the things is, is is that sort of it's quite nice to know that the world kind of agrees with itself that Things like education, healthcare, job opportunities, honest and responsive government, access to clean water and sanitation, food, protections against climate crime and violence, more or less continuously come up in the top six or seven. We see a pattern all the way through of a continuous set of issues that come up as key issues again and again. Education overwhelmingly education is the one that comes up again and again. So that's good to know that we have a global agreement on what matters to people and what's important to people. Then you start to get into that sort of granular stuff, and that's where it gets very interesting about things like an honest and responsive government or better job opportunities. Those two are clearly key things. And there's no difference between which countries you're in. You see these two things coming up as your three and four continually. And I think that's an interesting thing. You know, there's an, a call for people want to trust their governments. They want to feel a partnership with their governments. And frankly, the job issue is a big issue. I mean, I, you know, in the States, it's a big issue. I'm British in, in the UK. It's a big issue and in Europe. So... Job opportunities sits there with that. So you see those, and I think those are the two that are probably most surprising. And then once you start getting sort of data obsessed, you can then start to see on the site the differences. You know, I'm I'm always struck by the sort of Australia and that region, the whole issue of protecting forests, rivers and oceans. It becomes much, much higher. So there's clearly a strong in your face, environmental concern coming out from people when they're looking at those sorts of issues.
1: It's so interesting that I I love the fact that education is number one. And everyone might say, oh, you know, but that makes sense. And it kind of does. But This is over affordable and nutritious food, access to clean water and sanitation, everything. And it just goes to show that the world is united on the fact that an educated society can solve the rest of the problems.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's very interesting. And, you know, I think there are some very salutary things that you say. You look at something like support for people who can't work. And we had a group. I'm just trying to think what country it was in.
1: There is a lot of uh, – New York is a busy place, by the way. <laughs> New- I, yeah. I hear the sirens and I go, where are they going? <laughs> What's happening?
2: You know what it is? It's crime and violence. I'm surprised it's not higher in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me look at that data. And yeah,
0: we need to filter down on New York real, real quick. Real time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me see what people are tweeting about. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's some really interesting things. Like you can go to the poorest country and the poorest of the poor. So we can look at that, and you'd imagine that people would be saying, well, support for people who can't work. Well, actually, no, it's job opportunities, Mm -hmm. and I think that's really interesting. That, That speaks to me to something I know from all the field missions I've done and all the work I've done, is that people want the opportunity to work. They don't want the opportunity to be supported. You know, it's that idea of a life of human dignity, which is such a fundamental idea. They want the dignity to go out and work. And so, you know, you're not getting people saying, well, we want the support. No, we want the opportunity to be able to go out and work. So I do think it sort of tells us something about what people are really looking for, what they're looking for in development and what they're looking for in terms of a new agreement. And so I do think it's, it's, it's very salutary when you look at that. But you also can see where some of the real challenges are. The poorer countries that you look at, with the least well-educated, which is a proxy for income, you see that better transport and roads leaps up as an issue that people care about. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, I know it from the work I've done on maternal death. Often women die because they can't get to a hospital in time because there's not a road. There's not good infrastructure to get them there in time. So, of course, roads and transport are important. And it matters more if you're in a place where it doesn't work you know so that's going to be an, a key issue so it sort of it tells you about a little bit about the state of where things are in different countries and where development is and we can put that information with other bits of information to really i suppose triangulate and start to help this to users us to think about okay, what should be in the new goals and what matters to people? And, you know, this is part of the whole idea of the opening charter of the UN is we the peoples. And this genuinely is we the peoples. This is we the peoples, the voice of the people.
1: It is. It is we the entire world. It is people in every corner. There's a map on there, which is really crazy. There's a map that shows to the exact number how many people have voted in every country in the world. And... I mean, you just go, for example, in Chad, there's been 46 votes. In the Philippines, 70,000. In Indonesia, 27,000. You can go down to the smallest, I I don't even, this is my ignorance, but I don't even know this place called Turkmenistan. I I really don't even know it. So, and there's 69 votes. So anyways, it just goes to show that the internet and technology and the UN and just the progress that we are becoming this global nation of one. And we urge everybody not just to go take it. John and I took it instantly. The survey takes five seconds. It, the things just jump out to you and you know. Uh, and tell other people about it. It's, it's just really incredible. And I'm excited to see when your deadline hits, what happens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's always, you know, in England we have an expression, there's always a slip between the cup and the lip. And so it's whether we can find that the voice of the people is reflected in the voice of the new agreement. Mm. That The vision is, you know, we see those two voices come together and a real joining of those two voices. And, you know, there's a very interesting discussion about we need to have a partnership with people around this new agenda, this genuine partnership, because we're all in it together. Citizen action at a local level, be that you know, my daughter last night made us not turn on the heat and put cardigans on because she thinks it's going to help on climate change. So, you know, (laughs) whether it's down to that sort of thing or those, you know, going out in the community and doing different works or whether it's some of the Giving Tuesday work that people do, whatever it is, we're in this together and we need to do it. You know, it's sort of, it's our world and it's our people and that's what we've got and together we can do it. So this idea that it's, governments and their people separately no it's together so what we want to do is make sure you personally are going to be challenged to increase the number of votes in Turkmenistan from 69 that's your challenge (laughs) and I'm going to find someone else in Chad because for me the question is I love the fact that we've got 70,000 in the Philippines I love the fact that Rwanda has 59,000 people but when there's only 69 in Turkmenistan that for me is not good enough that I want to grow that I don't know about the US. I mean, you're a big country, aren't you? So
1: 34,000 is I want to be larger. That is insane to me by the way. When I saw that, I was expecting a quarter million. That yeah. I just for some reason I was like quarter million. I saw 34,000, and I was like, I'm on the wrong country.
2: (laughs) I I mean, compare Yemen. Yemen is a much smaller than the USA, and they have 121,000, and India has 250,000. So, you know, you might want to increase that. So right now we're looking at You'll deliver and, and mobilize people to vote in Turkmenistan, get, <laughs> someone else will offer how they can help in Chad, and everybody will help in the US.
1: Oh, we and, can do that, yeah.
2: And, and we, that's the thing, we want to increase the numbers. And let me tell you one other thing that's important. This development agenda isn't about the rich countries of the north giving to the poor countries of the south, because that's all gone and This is about a universal agenda. Some of the great nations that are growing the Brazils, the Indias, the Russias, those strong, China, those economies, the US, the old. Nations of Europe, us us who used to be great and are now poorer, all of us in this together, Africa with its incredible mineral wealth, together we're going to have to do the right things. So this is a universal agenda. So this isn't about, oh, well, we want to hear about what people in America because of ODA and the money that you give to development. No, this is about what do we do as a world together. And it's all our responsibility, whether it's my daughter making me put on a cardigan last night or whether it's someone doing something in a community um, in the Amazon around protecting the rainforest. Each of those things is going to be as important. So the voice is as important.
0: That's such an amazing message. And we'll definitely urge our listeners to go to myworld2015.org. Is there anywhere else that you want our listeners to go? Anything that they need to be aware of or just... Head over, myworld2015.org, take the survey.
2: Well, one, do that. Do not not do that. Here's the other (laughs) thing I have a big vision on, which is imagine that in every country of the – let's imagine you get your 250,000 people in the U.S. and you personally get – let's give you 10,000 people in Turkmenistan. Of those people who vote in my world, I would love – Let's say 100,000 in the U.S. and 1,000 in Turkmenistan to say we want to be part of a citizen advisory panel because we want to be part of the ongoing discussion. When a great new agenda is set and we set new goals, I want to go back every year to people and say, "Okay, you tell me your priorities now. Things got better or worse. And so the idea that, that this partnership doesn't stop at your one vote, done that, dusted, gone. I've done my bit for development, but it continues as a partnership. That would be wonderful. And of course, you know, you will get 10,000 votes in Turkmenistan. So the more commitments I get like, like that, the better.
0: Awesome. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for your time. We really enjoyed speaking with you. We really look forward to seeing what this becomes and wish you the best of luck.
2: Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to keep in touch with you and I'm going to hold you to account.
0: <laughs> Don't you worry. I'm going to send Chris out on a bike yeah. to, to go get those boats.
2: Go to Turkmenistan. Exactly. It, and get those boats in.
1: <laughs> if, I, if I can find it, I'll be there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thank All you so right. much. Thank okay. you. Okay, no. take care.
0: You too. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Corinne Woods. If you haven't already... Go to myworld2015.org, take the survey, help out a fantastic cause, and then head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com where you can check out old episodes. You can support us through Amazon. What else can you do over there?
1: Well, actually, what is that hashtag again?
0: Oh, hashtag MWSPP. Help get that conversation going. People will
1: be like, oh, what does that mean? And John will be tweeting about it. And it's a way of kind of just showing... Uh, what we were able to do. Anytime you tell people to take a survey, uh, you guys actually have done a great job because we've asked you in the past, but people kind of get like, oh, you know, how long is it going to take? I go out of my way. I got to turn off my phone for a second or whatever. But this is really, it's just a global movement and it feels good to to look at these countries. By the way, countries the size of Texas that have tens of thousands of more People voting than in the US.
0: Oh, yeah. The US is only at what, 225,000 or something like that? No, dude, they're at like
1: 30,000. Oh, they're at 30,000? Remember, I said we should be at half a million at least.
0: Yeah, we need to get that number up there. Head over to myworld2015.org. Do you part, make your voice heard. That's it. Thanks so
1: much guys for listening smartpeoplepodcast.com. Thank you again also for reaching out. God, we have some had some really cool emails recently and we will check you next week.